0: Hey guys, it's Editing Barry. I'm here to report that I done fucked up. And when we recorded this week's episode, I neglected to properly attach my microphone to my computer. And so, my audio this week sounds like complete and utter garbage. And for that, I apologize. I have done everything within my power to rectify this mistake, but unfortunately, it still sounds like I am calling into a Zoom meeting from Azerbaijan. Um but yeah, please enjoy uh this week's episode of Flopper Deemer, the man show, part 1. I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm
1: Jason Marcos. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance.
0: This week, men. That's it. That's the intro. Today we're talking about men. Well, (laughs) two men. (laughs) Which is two more men than we've ever talked about before. This is true.
1: Well, yes. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct.
0: We've we've run the fact checkers. (laughs) We We have not talked about any men. On the show.
1: We're like the Atlantic in here. Hi, Jason. Hi, Barry. No beer today.
0: Nope. Uh, Wine spritzer, ruby grapefruit wine spritz, product of Italy. Perfect. Um, But I need to keep my wits about me because I'm woefully unprepared to talk today. So this week I was like, you know what? We we haven't talked about any men. And for the love of God, like, won't someone please think of the men? No one ever does. The forgotten, the other sex, the forgotten sex. Mm-hmm. Men aren't given enough attention,
1: <laughs> especially white men.
0: Yeah, no, the the oft neglected white man. But seriously, like in looking over a lot of the songs that we had kind of been outlining to talk about on this show, um, there weren't a lot of men. And I was kind of thinking about, you know, why why is that? Why why aren't why aren't there more men on your list of songs to talk about?
1: Do you think? So I've been thinking about this. I think like. <sighs> I have, you know, we're talking about pop, you know, typically on this show. And on this show, who am I? (laughs) Um, You have a show. I know. know, know. Well, I I tend to like pop ballads, mid-tempo ballads, actual soaring diva ballads. And I think what ends up happening for me is men don't typically do ballads and they don't do big Diva ballads. I mean, I know that's that sounds obvious when you say it, but mm-hmm. it's like I automatically like most men less because of that, right? Like I, I love yeah. like the 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 woman singing, you know, in front of you know, just just tear, bring the house down. Um. So I would say that like some of the men that I do really like are those that give me those performances. So you know, like uh, um, if we're talking older, you know like Peebo bryson i love some of his mm-hmm. stuff right i um i love josh groban okay um uh i i also like it's funny i like bruno mars a lot because it was okay. funny when i went to we saw him at the hollywood bowl and it was the most female diva like vocal performance i've seen from a man it's it's very strange like he performs like a beyonce like a you know you know what i mean he has a similar energy his his swag is very different than i think a lot
0: of other men's swag is when they're on stage Mm -hmm. he's Uh, got kind of like a james brown kind mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. energy to him or like maybe even like a little richard Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. i love prince you know i love prince like it's it so but i don't yeah i think my my preference is more towards female vocalists and the Mm -hmm. men who sing like them.
0: (laughs) No, I would agree. I think that like, I mean, as we kind of outlined in our first episode with Mariah Carey and Kelly Clarkson as like the center pieces to our musical tastes from which all other tastes kind of branch out. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't have like a short list of male artists that I really like. But I don't often gravitate towards male vocalists for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then when I do, it's really funny because it really is that kind of like adult contemporary mm-hmm. rocker-ish, soulful-ish yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I'm thinking about like, you know, Gavin DeGraw. I
1: was just thinking Gavin DeGraw. I was like, oh, like Gavin
0: DeGraw. Yeah. Like I couldn't <laughs> get enough of that Gavin DeGraw or like James Morrison. Yeah, but... In general, like I don't I don't often have a lot of male vocalists on my short list. Um it's it's funny when you say that
1: because then I'll go back through like my Spotify like favorites. You know. And I'm mm-hmm. always surprised by them because like the 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 male vocalists or the 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 male bands or whatever in in there are not necessarily like what I've described to you. You know what I mean like Yeah i'm like oh well that's a man and i guess i <laughs> you know i like that a lot you know what i mean it's like oh i guess i don't know but it's like no, to your your that's true to your point like i don't think about them as my favorites mm-hmm. like i don't have the same reaction like if you mentioned to me chaka khan right mm-hmm. like i don't have that reaction so there's something it's like i like the i you know it's not like i don't like music like that. And and I think what'll be interesting is, you know, my artist today is gonna to be Rabel and he's someone that I can see myself being that excited about.
0: Okay. I probably should have listened to that song. I really didn't give myself a chance. <laughs> Sorry. I'll listen to it while you're You probably about it. know it.
1: You would have heard it okay. on something. And that's kind All of right. the thing.
0: I hope so. I hope so just so that I have, you know, at least the interbittent piece of sentences to contribute.
1: <laughs> what else um, what else is going on?
0: Nothing much. Nothing much. It is it is it is smoke filled. I was very very concerned about coming out to the garage to record today because it's the air quality right now is so fucked up mm. and hopefully by the time this episode posts all these fires will be out and we will be able to breathe again. I think I was telling you that yesterday, like we went on a walk, Ill, an ill-advised walk through our neighborhood. Mm. And um like halfway through, I, I told I told Davey, I was like, I have to turn around, we have to turn around. Like I'm like out of breath and I like cannot catch my breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even it, you know, because we had masks on and then it's all smoky out, and we're just walking up hills and stuff, and I mean, I can't do this, you know. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I needed I, you know, thank God when we went on a walk, I had a mask with a filter. And that really saved me because like I couldn't even smell the smoke. Oh. It was it was the filter was working that well. But what did happen was my eyes were just burning.
0: Oh. I just have a I just have that thing where, you know, I was wearing a mask and I don't want to sound like an anti-masker or anything, but I mean, the bottom line is, like, you should just shouldn't be doing things that overexert yourself mm-hmm. if you can't breathe with your mask on. But I was hitting that point where I was like, oh, my God, I cannot breathe with this mask mm-hmm. because I'm trying to, like, oxygenate my blood. And I'm huffing and puffing because we're going up this hill. And I just physically could not suck in enough air through the mask. Added to the fact that, the, you know, the air was just full of particulates, probably. Um, I was dying. We had to turn around
1: and so here we are you live to you lived to record
0: another episode i live to record another episode here we are um god is that it that's that's all we have to say about men i
1: I mean what what is there to say
0: i mean like i guess yeah i know i mean i think that we're pretty we're pretty cynical about you know men right but i also think there is something to like because i'll say that like i couldn't i couldn't find as compelling a story about this week's song that I'm going to be talking about. I think it depends, yeah. Whereas, like, I feel like in the past, like, whenever there's been... I feel like especially with the Black female singers we're talking about, Mm -hmm. there's always a layer of something additional to talk about in terms of their story, in terms of these songs that are coming out. And, you know, I found a lot of interesting things to talk about today um, regarding Daniel Meriwether. But... I guess it just didn't have the same aha moment to me mm. that I've maybe had in in researching other other artists that we've done in previous episodes. But maybe our well is running dry. Maybe I'll just, maybe maybe none of the f- stories in the future will have any relevance and we can actually just immediately talk about the songs that we're talking about instead of waxing poetic for like 45 minutes. I, I also
2: think-
1: <laughs> that like a lot of the men, I'm looking through my like Spotify liked songs list. Like I've got, we have got like Charlie Puth. You know, he doesn't need an inch he doesn't need saving. Um, you know, or I don't know, it's like Anderson Pack, who yeah. does again, like does it you know, doesn't really need an introduction or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I could talk a lot about the Jonas brothers because I really like their new music, but um
0: They did okay. And having seen their document
1: Amazon- documentary. Yeah,
0: Amazon documentary. Which I loved. <laughs> I wonder about them sometimes if they're if they're if they're okay.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it seems like they kind of go in and out. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting that it really delved into the, the 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 tensions between them. And you could see it play out, like as they were talking yeah. about it. Like they were they're very sh- like to your you know, we've talked about Brandy, you know, be always being on and putting on a show. And mm-hmm. you can see the struggle between the brothers that might still have that that desire and the others were just like, can we just get this over with? Can just do this thing or whatever it has to be. Well, there's only three, wait, wait, there's which only three, three. really
0: wants it. <clears throat> which one really wants it?
1: Well, I thought, I think at the time, like it was definitely Joe, but like, and, well, I don't know, like between Joe and Nick, it was mostly their
0: Okay. Their, their whole tension, you know? Um, oh, cause I always thought that there was maybe a, there was maybe a strong, um, part on Kevin's part in terms of wanting to keep the band together because mm-hmm. outside of the Jonas brothers, he really he didn't none. have
1: anything. Yeah. And and the others were a little bit more. And
0: I've always heard, I've always heard that like his, you know, he has his wife and they had like a reality. She had like a part on like the reality show for a bit, mm-hmm. but that there was always this kind of like desire for Kevin to be more in the limelight than he was capable of. Yeah. In the face of like Nick and Joe kind of being the stars of the show. Yeah. Um, but I could also see like it seems like Nick and Joe have very different personalities, maybe, yeah. or musical interests. I don't know. Yeah, no,
1: for sure. And I think that's I think that's that's you know, I think that's that's what the, the documentary showed. And I think yeah, I think as they wanted to pursue their own things, it was kind of like this was Kevin's thing. Like the Jonas
0: brothers was Kevin's thing. So, you know. They were gonna do that whole reunion like a few years ago that fell apart like right at the very like at the 11th hour they that did go on tour last year no, no no this was this was several years oh. ago they were prepping to do a a reunion and then at the last minute it was like forget it and then nick kept doing solo stuff and then joe kept doing his um dnce what's that yeah dnce and then i guess kevin just went back home yeah, well,
1: and you know, he he you know, and he talks about that, right? Like that like his his, his he was feeling really bad cuz like his daughters like don't know that like he did anything. They've never yeah. seen him do anything. Which I thought was really relatable in some way. Like as yeah. we get older, just being like all of the things that we know, all of the things that we're good at, like if you don't like I I've, I've been thinking about legacy a lot. <laughs> like mm-hmm. what does it matter what I know and what I'm good at at this like if when I die like just lives and dies with me. Like I don't know. It's, it's weird thoughts that okay, I get dirt. older. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: well, if you don't have cakes anyway, to like
1: pass it on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we can we can add the Jonas Brothers to our our binder, our binder of men. We've got a binder of men, just ready to call on at any time. We'll keep it. We'll keep. I have like with it.
1: Tame Impala and like James Bay in here. Like none of these. They don't need. Well,
0: they don't need redemption, but also like, I don't think any of them were ever striving for a huge success. Like James Bay had like that one big hit. Right. And I wonder, you know, it it is that thing of like when you're an artist that, you know, you're not striving for a billboard number one necessarily, but you're just, you're striving for like the respect and admiration of your musical peers kind of at that Mm -hmm, point. mm -hmm. But then you do have a big hit. Big radio hit. Mm-hmm. What's the pressure like to follow that up? You know, mm-hmm. like I know that I think that, that that happened to um, who's the Pumped Up Kicks band? Oh, Fo- you know uh, that?
1: Foster Kramer,
0: Foster, Foster the, the people.
1: people. Yeah, Foster Kramer. That's oh uh, yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> Isn't that his Foster name? Foster the People.
1: Oh, I don't know. Uh, no, that's Mark Foster. So I know sorry. nothing,
0: but like I know that after Pumped Up Kicks was such a big crossover hit for them, it was like suddenly you have this like major label, number one hit cachet, and if you don't follow that up, people like, don't know who you are. Right? Well, it's like that. It's And if you start living that life of like, I'm a number one pop star, but then you don't ever regain that status, it can probably be pretty upsetting.
1: It's uh, literally the, the plot to that
0: thing you do. Never saw it. What? Yeah, Barry. I know. I, just, I know, and you see that that even has like um the Fountains of Wayne guy. Yeah, music for that. It's so catchy. But, yeah. I know. I just, it's, I know the song. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't, know the movie.
1: Sorry, Charlize Theron's like first, uh, Theron's like first, uh, role. Oh. Huh. All
0: right, maybe I'll check it out. You should. Tom Hanks is in that, right? Yeah, yeah. And Jonathan Ethan Embry, John,
1: is Ethan Embry, Jonathan okay. Sheck, Sheck? Christina Heppelgates. Oh, oh,
0: uh, Snapgate's ex-husband. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who was, like, so hot in that movie. <clears throat> <clears throat> he always had that kind of um, under-eye bag, are you a drug addict appeal, right? Like, from a very young age, like, under-eye bags. Yeah. Or, like, dark circles. Dark, yeah, dark circles.
1: I just... He's just, you know, darker. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Okay.
0: Gosh, I, I, we really had nothing to talk about. We just... Talked about nothing for well, about 15 minutes. Well, so. I,
1: I will say, I will say, everything that we've talked about will find its way to the flopredeemer.com website. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, if we misspoke, or if you have other men that you would like us to listen to, send them to flopredeemer at gmail.com. We will try yeah, to send men.
0: Out. Send men. Send us men.
1: Mm-hmm. Preferably, preferably with pictures. <laughs> so we really, you know, know... We really know what we need to be evaluating.
0: (laughs) Yes. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I'll be talking about Daniel Merriweather. So today I'm going to be talking about Australian R&B soul singer Daniel Merriweather and his 2010 song, Water and a Flame. So in the UK, this song served as the fourth single from his debut album, Love and War, and it peaked at number 180 on the UK singles chart, which is not not great. But it was also his fourth single. Um, This song never received much attention in the United States. It wasn't actually released as a single here because in the US, after his first two singles failed to gain any traction, he largely disappears. So... How do we know who Daniel Merriweather is at all in the United States? And the reason that I know who Daniel Merriweather is is because in 2007 he was the featured vocalist on a song called "Stop Me" by Mark Ronson. Oh, that's how I yeah. know him.
1: Okay, yeah, got it. And
0: this was off of this was off of Mark Ronson's album version.
1: That's a good album. And
0: it was a good album. Um, the song "Stop Me" it reached number two in the UK. Um, In the U.S., again, it didn't really gain much traction. It appeared on the Billboard dance charts, but pretty low down. But what I remember is that at this particular point in time, um, like NPR stations, like KCRW Mm -hmm. here in L.A., they had been starting to pick up on this kind of mini invasion of retro-inspired soul music that was coming out of the U.K. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so Amy Winehouse had been gaining traction off of her 2006 album, Back to Black, which is also produced by Mark Ronson. And so I remember that this song was also picked up in rotation on KCRW at that time. And I was like, oh, I really like this guy's voice. It's, you know, it's husky, it's a little gritty, it's a little rough, but it's very, very soulful and just like really smooth. You know, and I think it really combined well with Mark Ronson's production at the time.
1: Yeah, Mark Ronson was hot at the time. Like, I mean, just that sound was... I think we've talked about this in the in in previous episodes, but um, the way soul music or even the retro soul sound will, like, bounce back to us, come back mm-hmm. filtered through a UK lens... Um, yeah. ...is very unique. And... Yeah, totally of that moment. Like, it was huge at the time. I mean, it's it still sounds fresh.
0: And I mean, around that time, you know, Mark Ronson had kind of risen up as a DJ in, like, the New York area. And when he was starting to produce music, he talks about how he was always fascinated by, like, the samples that hip-hop and R&B music kind of brings into their music. So one of his signatures when he was DJing was that he would often... um take the original version of a song and then either use it as like a lead in to the contemporary song that uses that original song as a sample, or he would kind of mix the original song in, Mm. you know, and that kind of started his fascination with that style of production, like those Motown era, Stax era, kind of sixties and seventies soul songs. And, um, into that kind of like very vintage inspired kind of scratchy production Mm -hmm. quality Mm -hmm. of his music. And he really leans into that for his album version. And even though the song Stop Me is the main single off of that album, and it is a UK number two, I feel like the song that we actually got to hear more stateside from the album was the song Valerie yeah. because Amy Winehouse provided the vocals for that, you know? And so this begins to me kind of a storyline for Daniel Merriweather, where he is kind of hit adjacent, you know, he's working with the right people he's working on the right sound to be very much in like the zeitgeist of the time, Mm -hmm. but he ends up kind of being overshadowed by other people or other people kind of have the big hits in his place. And so he's constantly like the number two, basically.
1: Mm. I mean, I mean, I think, I think it's what's interesting, you know, because I had forgotten that this was how he was introduced to the world essentially. Mm -hmm. And I think because of Mark Ronson's very unique sort of sound, yeah, especially at the time, it set up it sets up this this expectation that that's Daniel Merriweather's sound because I think mm-hmm. most of the public, as well known as Mark Ronson is, and as as much as we know, like in the in the case of even Amy Winehouse, like how much of that production and everything is responsible for what we think of as Amy Winehouse's sound. When you listen mm-hmm. to her previous stuff when she wasn't working to him, she sounds completely different. Yeah, and so I think. Same. it's potentially with Daniel Merriweather. I I know for myself, like, as he, you know, speaking of being hit adjacent, it's like, well, yes, he was the vocalist and he was able to do that, but that wasn't really his sound. Or it was, but like Daniel Merriweather's sound. Okay. Right? And so like, when thinking about like what he's going to come out with next, it's like, oh, oh, you know?
0: And to your point, even if you don't, even if you don't know who Mark Ronson is, even if you don't attribute that sound to Mark Ronson, by the time that Daniel Merriweather starts coming out with his solo efforts, that song is at least very strongly associated with Amy Winehouse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you don't think, well, this is just a Mark Ronson production, you're thinking, well, this sounds like a male yeah. Amy Winehouse. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. that that's also where, critically, he kind of suffers in the music press. Anyway, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that there's constant comparisons of him against Adele or him against Amy Winehouse, basically saying that he is um, that he doesn't compare to them. Which is kind of a sad, yeah. sad statement. And a statement that I don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. I think in one of the reviews for his debut album, um, Love and War, one of, the, one of the reviews said something about like, oh, it's, it's, less, it's less back to black and more return to beige. <laughs> you know, basically saying that like, he doesn't bring the same level of like passion and artistry to his vocals that someone like Amy Winehouse was doing in Back to Black.
1: It's interesting because, you know, we've talked about this idea of a quota before, particularly around some mm-hmm. of the Black female artists that we've that we've discussed. You know, some cases like queer artists. It's interesting to, I mean, it's interesting to see that applied here to like a very specific mm-hmm. kind of British sound. It's like, well, there's only one. There's already one yeah. of this.
0: And there's kind of allowances for people to add their own spin to it. But beyond a certain point, yeah, you know it's it's kind of like well we've heard this before yeah. and and at the same time time is passing and the trends in music are kind of moving on. Even Mark Ronson after Version like his um, his follow album the um, what is that album called the Record Collection album mm-hmm. that one had a distinctly different sound. You yeah. know he kind of moved on from that whole like vintage inspired Dap King's kind of production and was doing kind of more, like, I want to say, like, 80s-inspired stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to talk about the quotas, and we already have one of this, one of that, um, I think that throughout the 2000s, especially later into into the 2000s, we do have, like, a mini-invasion of uh, British soul-inspired singers. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that was a contributing factor here because, um, I mean, I went... I was starting to listen to stuff as far back as, like, Nick Acosta. Mm -hmm. I actually don't know if she's better. I don't think she is. But Nick Acosta, when she released the album Everybody's Got Their Something in 2001 and the single Like a Feather, that was actually produced by Mark Ronson. That was, like, one of his first... Oh, into. Yeah, that was one of his first forays into production. Because you can hear that, like, that kind of 70s funk-inspired production that at the time just felt so out of left field, right? Mm-hmm. But that was very much where he was coming from as a DJ at the time. You know, and then after that, in 2003, I was thinking about Joss Stone. Mm. In 2003, Joss Stone released The Soul Sessions,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which, you know, I think that was that was also picked up widely by like NPR. And she was working with like Angie Stone on that, no relation. And um, The Roots yeah. also worked on the, the Soul Sessions with her. And that was very much like a session kind of, vintage soul inspired record but then um you know mark ronson releases stop me with daniel merriweather in 2007 but he'd actually been working with daniel merriweather from about 2002 2003 Hmm. that like a a mutual friend had kind of passed on daniel Mary's a mutual friend had passed on daniel merriweather's demo to mark ronson and mark ronson contacted him and was like hey do you want to like move to new york for three months and stay with me and we can just record some music so they had been working together as far back as two thousand three, but in the meantime, James Morrison. Do you know James Morrison? Yeah,
1: I like some of his songs. Didn't he do man? Didn't he do a cover of "Man in the Mirror" <laughs> mm-hmm. when Michael Jackson died?
2: Maybe.
0: I like his voice. I do like his yeah. voice. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is like he 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 gets lumped into that kind of blue-eyed soul genre coming out of the UK. His stuff is like a bit more. Um, Adult contemporary, pop, yeah, as I see it, yeah, in, like the landscape yeah. of American music. Anyway, mm-hmm. but I know that like largely his vocal style is considered to be like blue-eyed soul. You know, you get Amy Winehouse releases her album in two thousand six. Um, Paolo Nutini, do you remember him? Yes, the shoes. Two thousand seven, releases the album These Streets and the single New Shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, you get Adele in two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah. You get Duffy in two thousand eight.
1: Okay, I love Duffy.
0: I love Duffy I think that Mercy is the worst duffy song
1: yeah there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of other good songs on those on those albums I feel like
0: there was a, there was this um there was an urgency to try and find like a radio friendly single from Duffy and so Mercy was it but like the entire rest of that album, the whole Warwick avenue album is like so much better than that one song um Paloma faith two thousand nine that's your girl something beautiful that's my girl. she also never made it big. In the United States, she's very popular in the UK, but I guess when you look at that timeline from you know early two thousands into two thousand nine, and then um, Daniel Merriweather's album doesn't actually come out till two thousand ten. So, like, despite being one of the earlier collaborators with Mark Ronson, his album doesn't come out till kind of the very end of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we're talking about quotas and we're talking about people coming out with the sound, and you think about like okay, like you know, Amy Winehouse is your Britney Spears and then Adele is your Christina Aguilera. And then, um, you know, Duffy is your Jessica Simpson. And then Paloma Faith is your Mandy Moore. You know, you get down the line and then suddenly like, okay, is Daniel Merriweather like your Willa Ford? Like, <laughs> you know, there's just a certain, there's just a certain point after which like the formula, it, it gets replicated too much. And it's like, It's like when genes are replicated and there's like an error and suddenly the gene is just like all mutated and like (laughs) deformed. (laughs) It's like Alien 3. (laughs) And so I feel like there's there's something to that that kind of impacts the release of this album. That by the time this comes out in 2010, that whole vintage-inspired production has been out for several years. It doesn't feel as fresh. It doesn't feel as new. I think the idea that Daniel Merriweather was doing it, that he was kind of like the first man to be doing this. Because hmm. James Morrison was more solidly like an adult contemporary, almost like a rock soul to me. Mm-hmm. He's Daniel more like a Gavin
1: DeGraw, like the British Gavin DeGraw. Yeah.
0: yeah. Daniel Merriweather, I think, was always um, like a solidly R&B soul singer. How do you?
1: Yes. Yes, I agree with you. Because I'm also thinking at the time, who else was popular was like James Blunt. Like if you're oh, talking yeah, about like adult contemporary, like British pop, you know, like the you know,
0: yeah, because it was yeah. it was it was very much like VH1 kind of. I can only think of like um, 104.3 here in LA. Like I hear it day and night on that station. Mm-hmm. Yes, but Daniel Merriweather was more of an R&B soul singer. And like after this, when he's trying to come up with a follow up for this album, he talks about his influences being more like D'Angelo and Music Soul Child and wanting to come up with more of a groovy record mm-hmm. rather than like a beat based record. So, anyway, so this album comes out in the United States. He gets signed to J Records in the United States, which is like. That was like the Clive Davis oh, label, right? Yeah, I think in so. the post in like in the post-American Idol era, like Clive Davis was running J Records. Yeah. He gets signed to J Records. I feel like there's a lot of hype going into him with, you know, the not the the fairly recent success of Amy Winehouse, Adele, Duffy. Um, but this is 2010. Um, he releases his lead single called Change, featuring wale yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Rapper, you know, and it's got this, it's got like a level of social consciousness that I don't think we were, we were used to at that time in R&B hip hop, mm-hmm. but that's like traditionally associated maybe with r and music. and b music. But that song really doesn't go anywhere. I remember he, po- uh, I remember him performing that song live on Jimmy Fallon mm-hmm. and thinking, oh, this is cool. Like this is going to be his big break but nothing really happens. He releases a follow-up single called Red. He does a few TV promotions for that here in the United States. Again, it really goes nowhere. Um, in the United States, I mean, in the UK, this album actually is a pretty moderate success. And it gets all the way to the fourth single, which is this song, um, Water in a Flame, featuring Adele. And to me, like, this song has all the hallmarks of something that could have been a hit, because again, um the song is produced by mark ronson you know he's featuring adele adele is just like this is like within a year of adele releasing um 21
1: yeah so she's already gone on her grammy spree and all of that yeah, yeah. so
0: she's already had this big hit with 19 um the song is written by egg white who's that who I, think you ta- I think you talked about him previously in the mary j blige episode because he's the writer of the song therapy from the London sessions. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's, he's got a real first name, but his nickname is Egg White.
1: Uh, yes, I, I do remember. That's why I was, like, confused. Because she he, she wrote that, like, because Sam Smith co-wrote it as well. Like, there were a couple yeah. people on there, but, okay, that makes sense.
0: But, so, Egg White, he'd also written You Give Me Something by James Morrison, mm-hmm. his big hit mm-hmm. in the United States. He wrote Warwick Avenue by Duffy. He wrote Chasing Pavements by Adele. Mm. And then he'd also been doing writing for like Alex Clare, Dion Bromfield, mm. and Paloma Faith. So- Should have all worked. These are all people that are, they're all working in the same circles. The song should have worked. I think that this song is amazing. I think that, you know, we've been talking a little bit about what the nature of these British soul singers' voices is, and I describe them as somewhat jowly, right? I get, we were talking about like why it is that like, it almost sounds like their whole bottom jaw and their cheeks are just so relaxed. There's almost like a Richard Nixon quality to the way that they sing. Mm -hmm. And Daniel Merriweather does it, but Adele also does it. Like you hear, you really hear it in how, how relaxed their jaws are when they're singing. Um, and I don't know that that's neither here nor there, but I know that it's something that makes their voices sound kind of odd. Right. Yeah,
1: definitely. It's a definite, it's a definite, um, not odd. It's a... It's like a vocal signature. Yes. And you can always tell, you're like, oh, I think this is a UK singer. Yeah. <laughs>
0: There's a or, style, you know, a technique or something. Yeah. It's the same thing as like when Selena Gomez started like um, all of her weird mumbling, like her signature enunciation on certain words that I feel like kind of permeated all kind of uber-precious indie female vocalists for mm-hmm. a while. hmm you know what I'm talking about? That be, like da, 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 da. no, like, when she says like "good for you," she's like "god for you." Like she, like she does like a weird. Int- I can't even do it. Like I don't understand how these female vocalists pronounce those words in that weird kind of garbled way. Yeah, yeah, yeah It's yeah, like yeah. a sound that I physically can't make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're terrible. Go listen to Selena Gomez. You'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> So the song had all the hallmarks, I think, of a hit song. I think that it's a really great song. It was actually received pretty lukewarm by most critics. And I think Daniel Merriweather as a whole, even though his songs may have been critically well-received, there was always that sense of like, oh, but he's no Adele. He's no Amy Winehouse. And I think that that goes into all these songs, that they're just never like, he's not emotive enough. Um, I don't feel anything from his singing, which I, I mean, I feel the exact opposite when I hear his voice. I think I like his voice so much because I can, I can feel his connection to the lyrics, personally speaking. Hmm. You know, like Daniel Merriweather is someone whose songs, whose song catalog I really, really enjoy back to front. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so that is to say that I really, really like all of Daniel Merriweather's music. I wanted to talk about this song because I, Felt like out of all of his singles, this one to me had the hallmarks of something that could have gotten a lot of traction and become a really big hit for him, but it didn't. And after this fourth single is released off of his album, he does some collaborations here and there, mm-hmm. and he does some featured vocals here and there, but largely he just disappears from from the music scene.
1: Yeah, I'm just looking here like this is his only full album.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically, after 2009-2010, he does some featured vocal appearances, I feel like, through 2012 and 2013. And he'll pop up here and there in interviews talking about um, working on a follow-up album, leaning more into, like, a D'Angelo vibe that he wants to work on. Mm -hmm. But then he, like, kind of falls off the map. And I had always followed him on Twitter for some reason. And I feel like at a certain point, his Twitter got really deep, and a little dark and a little bit full of like poetic musings. And I kind of was always like, what's, what's going on in your life? Danny Merriweather. And he, he reemerges in 2018. I think he, he does another song with Mark Ronson in 2018, but then he begins to release solo music again in 2019.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he releases a song um, called Paradise in 2020, actually. He releases this song called Paradise in 2020. And to me, this is like the fruition of everything that he had been saying in 2012, 2013 about what he wanted his music to become. I feel like it's very much um, stylistically in line with what he was doing on Love and War, but it really does go more towards like that D'Angelo style of soul music. So on Instagram, he debuts this song. He posts the cover onto his Instagram and he tells this story about how When he wrote this song, he was living in his car in Hollywood, and every night he would pretend that he was living in paradise and that he was happy and in love. Hmm. And he doesn't really elaborate much beyond that. But I do know that if you connect the dots between what he was doing in 2013, he was saying he had just moved to LA, he was working with new people, he was working on producing and writing for other people, he was working on writing and producing for himself, But then just to connect the dots that somewhere in that interim, things have kind of fallen apart for him. And, you know, it makes me wonder about when you're an artist like that and you're trying to get your breakthrough in the United States and you kind of put it all on the line Mm -hmm. to the point that, you know, you essentially stop making music. Yeah. That it goes that it goes that far that you can no longer make music for like the whole seven year period between like 2012 and 2019. Versus, like, a lot of those other artists that I was mentioning, you know, at least came out with more music in the UK. Like, Paloma Faith, despite not making it big here, she was able to continue making music back in the UK and being a really successful act in the UK.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it couldn't break into the US, but UK is still a thing.
0: Yeah. And it didn't It didn't go that way for Daniel Merriweather.
1: So, yeah, I was just looking at that. I was just looking at that Instagram post.
0: Yeah, it's it, it, it's kind of a weird story. Or it's, it's a story that I haven't heard much about. Like mm-hmm. he really hasn't talked very much about it and beyond this one Instagram post. And it's one of those music mysteries that I'm like very intrigued by. And it, I think it makes the music that much more interesting to me to listen to that song. Cause mm-hmm. the song is, the song again is very, very good. Oh, I will listen. So yeah, but it seems that he's gotten his life back together. He's back in the UK. He's married. He's expecting a child. He's releasing new music this year. So it looks like he's doing really good. Yeah. I would recommend for Daniel Merriweather that if you're going to take a listen to him, that you take a listen to a lot of his music. He does this great song with the bamboos called I Never... I love the bamboos. Bamboos. Great song. Um, he did a song um, off of the Arthur soundtrack. The... The Arthur... The... um katie perry's ex-husband russell brand why was i thinking arthur the aardvark nope nope (laughs) nope nope arthur the arthur uh, Arthur like originally
1: originally with uh uh, liza minnelli and um,
0: yes okay was a remake yeah but he did a song called a little bit better off of the arthur soundtrack also an excellent song i'll be posting that to our website okay um but all around like daniel merriweather deserved so much more out of his musical career. And I hope it's something that he can regain.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: That's great.
1: No, okay. I, I will definitely listen. I mean, it's it's funny, like my, I I think that like, I was one of those people who was like, okay, I mean, he's not like one of my, like, you know, in in, in at the time, it was yeah. like, there wasn't much about his voice to me at the time yeah. that made him break through basically exactly like what you're saying and i think his voice is an acquired taste it's uh, it's a little how do i say it sounds so melancholy to me you know in 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 sort of the same reason that like i mean i i don't listen to james blunt for multiple reasons but like that's one of the reasons there's something about in particular british or uk adult contemporary type of stuff that sort of yeah it makes me think of rain on the window Mm -hmm. rain on a window, but like as photographed on an album that's available at Starbucks. You know what I mean?
0: I I mean, I I mean like to me, like James Blunt was always just kind of like whiny, sappy sadness. Yeah. Daniel Merriweather definitely has a mournfulness Mm -hmm. to all of his songs. I think that that's, that's like a signature of a lot of his songs. They're all about like heartbreak and, you know, breakups and the aftermath. But also, I mean, I feel like that's Adele, too. Yeah, no, it Adele. is. It is. It
1: is. But, I, you know, to, to it's funny, because we were talking this, you know, at, at the top of the episode of, like, how, you know, the reason I, I don't necessarily prioritize male vocalists in the same way as I do female vocalists is because of their big sort of showy sort of things. And I feel like, you know, the point you just made about him sort of being like Adele... It doesn't hit the same way to me when he does it. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. I don't like it. I, or I guess it does mean that I don't really like it. But I, 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 think I just have to reframe it because I think, you know, some of these songs that are in here, like I'm really interested in listening to, and he does have a nice voice. I just I feel like it's not always in the presented in the way that I like. And I think with "Water and a Flame," there's a something. I know the chorus. You know, I don't like that chord progression. Like in the chorus, right? Like it to me, it doesn't take off in a way. Okay, (laughs) which which I feel like when you think of "Stop Me," like it's so much more effusive. Like he, like he, like there's, there's. To me, it uses his voice in in a way that I think gets at like why he's a unique artist. I think Mark Ronson was able to pull that out, which I think is interesting. If Mark Ronson was also involved with the song, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not. It's not necessarily one versus the other, but I think, you know, we've talked about how sometimes, like, the certain song choice or whatever, like, you hear, it can kind of taint your idea of, like, what the artist is all about and what they're capable of, and mm-hmm. you don't dig further. And, like, the whole purpose of our podcast is to be, like, dig further. So I think yeah, I'd like to listen to this. I, you know, I, I had not heard the song um, Paradise um, or even the one from Arthur, and I'd, I'd really like to kind of get into them. So,
2: yeah. Cool.
0: I skipped over a ton of shit that I was gonna talk about. Do you wanna talk about it? Um, do I wanna talk about it? I would like to talk about it. Okay. So one thing I wanted to talk about with this song is that Celine Dion covers this song. Ah. In 2013. I f- it's it's the Celine Dion of it all. Infamous. We had talked we had talked about Patti LaBelle a couple weeks ago. And what was the name of that song? <laughs> <laughs> if you asked me to, <laughs> if you asked me to, and we talked about how uh Celine Dion picks up that song, covers it, and it, it kind of becomes widely known as a Celine Dion song,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah. And it was interesting that in researching this song, I didn't even know that Selene Dion had covered it, but that that she covers this song in 2013. It is a single off of her album that I year called it. "Love Me." It's called so the album is called "Love Me Back to Life." The original working title for mm-hmm. that album was "Water and a Flame." They were going to name the whole album after this song, and what happens is that. Celine Dion goes on to Katie Couric's talk show and debuts this song, does a whole interview about it. And they erase the fact that this song is actually a cover. They erase the fact that this is a Daniel Merriweather song. Ostensibly ostensibly because no one really knows who Daniel Merriweather is, right? In the United States. But what's interesting about the way that they cut the segment together is that Katie Couric is like, oh, like... You know, I hear you know aspects of like Adele. You know, like oh, I love Adele, and Selena Dion's like, yeah, oh, I love Adele's vocals. She's just, you know, her vocals are amazing, and it's leading me down this path towards adding more grit to my vocals, and da 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 da. And here's my new song, Water and a Flame. So, like, the implicit connection is like Water and a Flame, Adele, mm-hmm. and. After this interview airs, Samantha Ronson first picks up on it and is like, she posts a blog post about like, hey, like, did, like why don't you why didn't you credit the fact that this is written by Daniel Merriweather and was originally performed by Daniel Merriweather, you know? Mm-hmm. And then Daniel Merriweather picks up it on it and he like unloads on Celine Dion kind of about like just how upset he is that mm-hmm. he is not really publicly credited for this song, that this song he wrote lyrically from his own personal experiences of going through a breakup. Mm -hmm. And that story kind of gains a little bit of traction and it's enough traction that this song kind of gets buried and they change the name of the album entirely.
1: What's also interesting is that if you put that together with what you just said about Paradise, this would have happened potentially while he was living in his car.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think that 2013. Yeah, he might not have been living in his car, but I think that in 2013 it was there was probably stuff going on behind the scenes as to why we didn't see a lot of music coming from him mm-hmm. at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Again, like what was happening? We don't know. But I mean but to it, have it, just it come resulted, out of that. Yeah, it resulted yeah. in this period where he largely just disappears. Yeah.
1: Um. But to be erased in that in that in that fashion, when someone yeah. like with the power of Celine Dion who's singing a song mm-hmm. that you wrote, and like you can't get a place to live, you can't afford a place to live, and they don't even mention yeah. you.
0: I, I also I mean, think in it's a way, inter- oh, go ahead. Oh, I mean, in a way, I wonder if he kind of torpedoed himself by making that statement that way, mm. because It called her the the powers that well, be out by having the that single kind of pulled from Celine Dion's album by having the title of Celine Dion's album changed. He himself was losing out on whatever 50% of -hmm. songwriting royalties that he would have gotten from that song. Yeah, that sucks. That and I'm sure that industry-wise, it probably wasn't a good look for him to be airing that publicly. But that, that Celine Dion album, Love Me Back to Life, They actually did a whole series of making of videos that were put on, uh, Celine Dion's YouTube channel. And that was really interesting because, um, she does the song Love Me Back to Life, which was written by Sia. Mm -hmm. And then she does a collab with Neo called Incredible. Mm -hmm. And both of those, both of those songs, as well as Water and a Flame, um, are given this like making of treatment on her YouTube channel. And in the Sia song and in the Neo song, They make a really big point of featuring Sia and Neo in those videos. Like she FaceTimes with Sia to thank her for writing the song, how much she loves the song, how much she thinks it's like pushing her musical horizons. Very much like, you know, Love Me Back to Life, written by Sia in the lower thirds. And same thing with the incredible song with Neo, that Neo is in the studio working on the song with her. He's credited as the writer. When they do the Water and a Flame making of video, it just says Water and a Flame. And Egg White is actually in the studio with her producing the song. But I think if you listen to those two songs, the two versions back to back, the production is almost identical.
1: Mm-hmm. Just like just like the Patty LaBelle version, it's almost exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, Just
0: like the Patty LaBelle song that you were talking about, it's it, it gets about two-thirds of the way through the Celine Dion version. Of the song. And then there's like a weird wind chime that gets added and some strings and stuff that aren't in the Daniel Merriweather version. Mm-hmm. But largely up until that point, it sounds almost the same. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny to me how they make such a big deal in this making of video about the writing process. Like Celine Dion is sitting there at a table, like looking over the lyrics with Ed White and they're talking about like, should we change this lyric? Should we not change this lyric? You know, in the end, she ends up keeping the lyrics almost identical to the Daniel Merriweather weather version. Hmm. So it it does seem a little bit shady. It does seem like he was a little bit cut out of the process and wasn't, not that he wasn't legally being credited. Like I'm sure that he's getting his proper royalties and whatnot, but just like no acknowledgement from those people. Mm -hmm. Like this is written by this really talented songwriter from Australia, you know, which I'm sure would have helped him out a little bit at that point in time. I mean, you know, to listen to, those two versions back to back, Celine Dion version versus Daniel Merriweather version. I want to say that I fully stand by the Daniel Merriweather version as the better version of the song. I think that in reviews, I think people feel like Celine Dion's version is just transcendent and much better. I think that, you know, I was reading this review by Idolator, and um, they kind of blame Daniel Merriweather for tanking this song. Hmm. For for Celine Dion, it's basically like, well, this was supposed to be the title track off Celine Dion's album, but Daniel, Mer- Daniel Meriwether ruined that weird. by having this outburst on Facebook, which seems like a weird, a weird unbalanced take. approach to it. That's a yeah. weird take. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that I, I like better about Daniel Meriwether's version versus Celine Dion's version is that Celine Dion has this effortlessness to her voice. We've talked about kind of like, Barbara Streisand or Celine Dion, how they can, they have this huge range and it never sounds like they're really pushing,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, and I think for a song like this, for songs with these types of like heartbroken messages, it really actually kind of helps to feel that from a vocalist in a way that you hear from Daniel Merriweather that you don't hear from Celine Dion Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I find interesting about the Celine Dion version is that she takes a duet and turns it into a solo. And what I find really impressive about this is that um, she sings the whole bridge by herself, which in the Daniel Merriweather version is a back and forth between him and Adele. It's like a call and response. Like, if you see me come in, I'll look away, I'll look away. And if you, you know, Celine Dion sings the whole thing. And there's one point during the making of where she makes a point to say, like, I couldn't breathe the whole time. Like, she makes it through this final line of the bridge where it's a back and forth between Daniel Merriweather and Adele, but she does it all by herself in one take without breathing. And I was like, oh, okay. That was, that was impressive. <laughs> I think it's funny,
1: you know, because you're talking about that. I mean, you know, Celine is a unique talent. Um, but, you know, as much as you're talking about, like, the erasure of Daniel Merriweather, it's interesting that it's never discussed that, like, Adele was on the song either right like cuz you mentioned yeah. like Katie Couric Katie Carrick bringing up like oh i'm hearing Adele and she's and you know Celine's like oh yeah you know she's really inspiring me to like change my vocals or, or like modify my vocals or whatever and it's like not only did they not mention that Danny Merriweather wrote this song also didn't mention that like literally Adele was on this song yeah as well that is an interesting it's one of those things are we going to become the inside edition about like Celine Dion's career and her imagination?
0: <laughs> i mean You know, and I I think that they probably thought that they could have gotten away with it because the song did not get much traction when it was originally released. You know, even though it wasn't Adele's song, like Adele didn't appear in the music video for this. It's very strange that, like, Daniel Merringweather made a video for this song and he's singing and then Adele's parts happen and he's just kind of standing there kind of, like, swaying. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I guess that sometimes happens. Yeah.
2: Adele
1: was, um, oh my God, Adele was like a shanti and like they weren't letting her like promote the, the song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think at that point, Adele was probably like her star had really been yeah, there. She, yeah. They were like, you YouTube. can't
1: fly back for a Daniel Merriweather video.
0: <laughs> so the other thing that I wanted to talk about. Maybe I can get through this quickly. Oh, there's more? The other thing, well, the other thing that I wanted to touch very briefly on is that, you know, we're talking about men and we're joking around like, oh, won't someone please think about the men? Um, But one thing that I was kind of digging into when I was researching this song was the idea of Blue Wide Soul. Mm -hmm. I've talked to you about this a little bit Mm -hmm. because like when I looked up all these artists on Wikipedia, they're listed as like Blue Wide Soul artists. And I was like, that's kind of a weird term. What is this? You know? And is it, is it problematic? Is it, do people think this is
2: problematic? Like
0: I, to me, it just sets off kind of like weird, you know, alarms go off in my head when I hear that term because it, it basically creates a genre of music specifically for white singers that have adopted a recognizably black form of music. Mm -hmm. Like it creates a whole segment for them. And, um, I was reading about how you know the the, the term blue eyed soul. I guess it originated in the '60s from actually like black DJs that were playing soul music on soul radio mm-hmm. and um, artists like the Righteous Brothers. That at that point in time, it was not a normal practice to play non black artists on soul stations. Is
1: everything I was right?
0: Is it the Righteous Brothers?
1: The Righteous Brothers, yeah, probably.
0: I, I they're yeah, they're right. Okay. Yeah. But just the idea that like they they were like, Well, we need to point out to you that like you might think that the righteous brothers are black, but they're not. And then to to to, to designate that as blue white song.
1: Was it that? Or was it that like, you know, black artists were limited to black stations and called black music and colored music and things like that? And it was sort of a response where where they're like, Well, this is I mean, soul music is our music and yeah. these are the blue eyed soul is sort of like a tongue in cheek, like they appreciate I, I, not, not necessarily like denigrating it, but just like kind of wink. Like No. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't think it was a way to denigrate it. I think it was just a way to identify mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. that's, a, if that's important to you, I guess. But you know it's interesting because I mean I mean
1: I think it would be if like you know there's a history of like you know like someone like Elvis coming in and we've talked about like with like Big Mama Thornton and like stealing hound yeah, dog cause you Cuz know? that,
0: that's the thing is like it, you have um you know the his- in the history of like rock music mm-hmm. you know I think Little Richard was always very vocal about claiming you know the origins of rock music leading back to him Yeah mm-hmm. right that Largely rock music is perceived to be as like a white genre of music, mm-hmm. but no, it, it came from Little Richard and it falls into that same territory of like who owns or who has the rights to these types of creative expressions. And when those types of creative expression, like soul music, transcend race, right? You know, how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we label that? And then how do I feel about that? You know? Mm-hmm because when i think about like i don't know like Justin Timberlake being considered a blue eyed soul artist or Robin Thicke being considered a blue eyed soul artist it's something that even within like black media outlets it's a little bit there's 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 a division of opinions on like how to feel about that right like everyone's going to feel their, their own way about like whether or not they accept Robin Thicke right as a soul singer mhm or that whether they accept his artistic intentions about being a soul singer you know i think a lot of outlets have been very very accepting actually of the idea of blue eyed soul artists
1: yeah i mean i i don't think it's a I, I guess i guess for me it's not it's not a question of whether like the media or whatever accepts that accepts them as blue eyed soul artists i think it's the fact that in a lot of cases they these artists are what make, or what give them, give that genre, quote unquote, legitimacy. Like the white people, artists. the white artists, like no, well, just like that, like mo- people won't listen to soul music, but then if they hear Robin Thicke, they're like, oh, well, that's fine, like that's good <laughs> music, you know what I mean? And I think like it's one of those things where we've talked about this in the past, like who gets granted a pass and who doesn't, right? Like you know, like
0: and who gets credit? Well, and right?
1: it's it's not like brown eyed pop (laughs) or whatever when like when like someone crosses over but because it's it's just an interesting
0: it seems like i guess
1: i don't feel bad about it i guess that's my thing i don't feel bad about it because i'm like you know they're the one like traditional soul artists traditional r&b artists are the ones who routinely get looked over who routinely get passed over who are routinely not given credit for these sorts of things and to to call to denote something as blue-eyed soul, I think is to it is, I mean it can be different. I don't know. I mean it's it's
0: I just question the I just question the creation of essentially a whole genre of music for that purpose, I guess. Yeah. I mean because, I, yeah. Because I, I do think that it I mean it's nice that it separates out or it, it recognizes that soul music is of black origins and that blue eyed soul is a branch off of Soul music itself, mm-hmm. in the way that we don't think about that with rock music, right? Blue-eyed mm-hmm. rock music.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, but
1: we just think of rock music as white.
0: Yeah, so it's nice that that kind of did not happen to soul music.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But it, it it all it all drives back into even even with this song, even with that influx of this vintage-inspired soul music that we were seeing in the two thousands. It's kind of like there were black artists also doing that that did not get recognition. You know, like the Dap Kings kind of famously worked on a lot of these recordings with Mark Ronson for like Amy Winehouse, for Daniel Merriweather, for like, you know, basically anyone that wanted this like super organic horn line
2: mm-hmm. on their
0: track, right? It was the Dap Kings. And the Dap Kings had been releasing music with Sharon Jones from like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I don't think ever got a lot of recognition when it was coming out, you know. Yeah. And so it, it nonetheless feels a little bit weird to me that the blue-eyed soul thing was also kind of like the more mainstream accepted version of that in the two thousands.
1: Yeah. No. I and and, and uh, to be clear, I think that's weird, and I but not weird. I think that that's. Again, we've my oft-used phrase tale as old as time." That, yeah. like you know, that that happened. I guess I uh, for 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 artists with who fit within that, I yeah. don't feel bad for them if they're if they're upset that they've been tagged with that moniker.
0: Okay, I I and I don't I yeah, don't I, not, you I, know you know what think, I mean like I like I and I think yeah. I think popularly like artists don't refer to themselves in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I you know. I think Robin Dick considers himself just a soul artist. Um, It's more like an externally applied thing. Mm -hmm. And it is, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of an adjacent issue, I guess. Like the blue-eyed soul thing is adjacent to this issue that I'm having of like whether or not black artists get enough recognition for their contributions or um, whether or not they garner as much success for doing the same kinds of things Mm -hmm. as white artists. Around the same time, mm-hmm. you know, because when I was thinking about soul music being largely accepted as like a black form of music, to look at the other end of that as like country being largely perceived as a white form of music. Right. Mm-hmm. And to talk about like the exclusion of black artists from the country charts. Right. Mm-hmm. Like very recently, like Lil Nas X was excluded from the country charts for Old Town Road. People were really mad that Beyonce was considered for the country charts for um, Daddy Issues. issues. And I guess that was the other flip side of that issue that this triggered for me was like, we have Blue-Eyed Soul. We have this recognition that white artists can sing soul music in a soulful vocal style and be soul music? Do we have the same opportunities going the other direction? I I don't, yeah. I'd say that Beyonce, Beyonce and Lil Nas X are probably like weird examples because, I mean, the Beyonce song was pretty solid. I want to say that was pretty solidly a country song. Yeah. The Lil Nas X one was maybe like a little more of a mashup. But I guess it's
1: like who gets to decide. And I think, and I think to me, those aren't really the same, like, you know, For some of just, you know, black commentators or black cultural critics that I follow are kind of upset at this idea that like that, like black people weren't doing country music also from the beginning, like black people come from the same parts of the country. They put, you know, like that that music that that like there are a lot of black people who grew up with country music and consider it like their music as well but they're excluded Mm -hmm. from the storyline about who country music fans are and who gets Mm -hmm. to make it, right? Like when Darius Rucker does country or whatever, it becomes like, it's like, oh, and it's like, well, people, I mean, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't people who grew up in that area like immersed in that culture like also have the same sort of musical sort of things? I think it's, I I guess I don't, for me, it's just, it's still all part of the same thing. It's like, it's, yeah, it's, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's complicated. I, I, it's,
0: it's complicated, but I like, I'm I just like, know that I feel some kind of way about all this.
1: Um, sorry, I'm not able to articulate right now, but I'm just, I like, I don't, yeah. I, ju-
0: I just have questions. I have so many questions about Blue eyed Soul music. I and mean, they're, they're, they're largely unanswered, you know? I don't, anyway. yeah, I get, yeah,
1: I guess I don't, I don't have questions. I'm just like, I, I think that part of it is like, it's the white artists who get upset that they're tagged with that moniker. And yeah, and I'm like, well, I, I mean, I get it, but also it's like to me, it's like a part of white privilege. It's you know that there's it's like yes, you're benefiting from a system that like will that in many cases will automatically give your contribution to this pre-existing art form more merit and more weight than people who have been doing it before, and so. It doesn't mean that you went in with that intent, but that's just how it's benefited you, right? I mean, like, it's not like I necessarily ascribe malicious intent to Celine Dion, but there's, you know, when we talk about her covering Patty's If You Asked Me To, and that wasn't even soul music. It was very middle-of-the-road, you know, rock pop of the late 80s, early 90s. Right. And like Mm -hmm. hers was described again as transcendent and taking it to a new level. And when you listen to it, they're exactly the same song. And so I think it's, it's, it's how the systems sort of, it's just an example of how the systems sort of works in to benefit some and, you know, marginalize or make niche people of color who are doing the same thing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so, yeah, I, I see Blue Eyed Soul as a way of just denoting it's like, oh yes, it's 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 a white artist in this space, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, because I, I, they're going to be fine.
0: Yeah, it's it, I, I have a hard time putting my finger on what it is that bugs me about Blue Eyed Soul. I think you're articulating it very well because you know there's this quote by Daryl Hall from Hall and Oates. Mm-hmm. Hall and Oates is largely considered to be like Blue Eyed Soul, mm-hmm. and Daryl Hall commented that he felt that the term blue eyed soul is racist, you know, saying that it assumes that he's coming from the outside. You know, it's always been that way in America that if you're a white guy singing, you know, or playing in a black idiom, it's like, why is he doing that? Is he from the outside looking in? Is he copying? What's the point of it? You know, and just reading that quote, it, it reeked of all lives matter to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it is that thing of like, you know, entitlement to space. It just feels like that. Like, yeah. I like I I deserve to have access to all spaces at all times. And it's not my fault if other people don't have access to all other spaces, but I deserve it.
1: Yeah. I mean <laughs> I mean the fact to me, the fact that it's Hollow Notes, I who I love. I, I do love Hollow Notes. Do I think yeah. of them as a soul act? No. I think nope. of them as sort of definitive of that sort of 80s what at the time was kind of pop. I mean, like, at this point, it's adult contemporary, really, but it's just, like, Mm -hmm. classics, right? They're still touring. We saw them, like, four years Mm -hmm. ago at the Hollywood Bowl. They tour regularly until the pandemic. Show me the comparable soul artists from that time who are packing the Hollywood Bowl, still getting radio airplay, like, still being talked about, like that are not relegated to just the classic soul or traditional R&B radio format. Yeah. That to me that's it in a nutshell. It's like no one okay, so you can be upset that it's been tagged with blue-eyed soul because like his vocals are maybe soul-inflected and come from that background, but like it has not hurt you. It has not hurt your career, it has not damaged your career. It might have hurt your feelings, which <laughs> You know, which, look, I'm not saying that's not valid, but I'm also saying that, like, you still have a platform. Yeah. And you're complaining about it when people who, like, established that genre do not have a platform and are mm-hmm. are being pushed to the side and, like, maybe getting, you know, a tribute at the NAACP Image Awards or something, which you're not going to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not getting a tribute at the Grammys. Or you know, like yeah. they're not being yeah. inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm-hmm.
0: so I don't know why you're well said. Talking. Well said. Um. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. That was my long. No, I'm not going to even call it that. No, so that was my that was my take on Daniel Merriweather. That was my take on his 2010 single "Water in a Flame," featuring Adele, produced by Mark Ronson, written by Egg White. All the hallmarks of success never made it to your ears. Please take a listen to it. Listen to the Celine Dion version. Tell us what you think. Did Celine Dion do it better? Critics thought so. Let me know. Anyway. <laughs> Jason, that look every, on your face no, is- every,
1: time, every time you say egg white, I kind of lose it a little bit.
0: I hope I'm saying that. I hope it's egg white and not like EG white. <laughs> it's capital E, lowercase g, egg white. Edge, edge
1: what, white? what's the what's the um the parenthetical when you're like e.g. e dot g dot you know and then you ergo er- er-
0: something. Um <laughs> <laughs> ergo white? Um, that's it. Let's anyway. take a break and then we come back, we'll be talking about your song. Okay,
1: <laughs> that's funny. You know, it's yeah. funny. You know, you talk about the Celine Dion album, and it's it's very strange that or or one of the things that this podcast has taught me as I've looked through is for some of these people that I love I love them to a point and then like from like 2010 2013 like I didn't listen to them anymore so like I don't I remember the song with Neo the incredible mm-hmm. song. I remember
0: I remember the Sia song
1: Love Me Back to Life I do I remember kind of being like Meh. and then like not really getting into the rest of it right so like yeah I think streaming services were in the it was that sort of weird time where it was like you could get them online but there weren't necessarily streaming services so you would have had to buy it and you so, like, to
0: like 30 seconds of it
1: yeah and you'd be like oh, okay that's okay and then you you would either listen to the radio or just like stuff you'd already downloaded right like mm-hmm. so I couldn't just have access to it so I don't think I've ever really listened to this song and there's a whole you know period of her career where like i just i just assumed she wasn't doing anything and it's like oh no she had albums
0: <laughs> yeah her vegas residency was happening yeah yeah i mean yeah. that album that album Me back to life that was like her first english language album in like six years i think interesting she'd been doing like french albums I think. yeah I yeah yeah okay anyway anyway on. All right, so that brings us to the end of the Man Show Part One. Tune in next week when Jason tells us about another man in the Man Show Part Two. I want to give some special thanks to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social media at FlopRedeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. And email us. at flop at gmail.com. Thanks, guys.